We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. If you'd like to get more involved in the conversation, join our Facebook group at Social Capital Network, a community of trust, reciprocity, and relationships. You can also follow me on Twitter at LJ Hybe. This week's guest is Ian Reynolds. Ian is a partner and chief solutions architect at Zebtech a software development firm focused on helping businesses of all sizes in the U.S. solve their core problems with software. They empower entrepreneurs, growth companies, enterprises, and visionary firms to achieve greater profitability and efficiency, valuation, and ultimate success by building the right tools through custom software. Ian, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm excited to have you. So what is it that your company is doing to innovate and stay on top of the latest technologies that are just constantly coming out there? Thanks for asking. Um, We have decided really kind of, you know, middle of 2019 uh, and and sort of carry forward into 2020 that we're going to dedicate a percentage of revenue to really just kind of an innovation group, right? We call it ZipTech Labs. And we have a select group of engineers who are just looking at a sort of smattering of the biggest and sort of uh, most available trends in technology, uh, mostly AI and these sorts of things. And I literally just dedicated a research to see if they can uh, come up with any sort of skunkworks projects that are going to be interesting, uh, going to solve problems for our clients that we can then turn around and present research on to say, look, you know, we, we have we see the market going this way. Here is something that we really feel will be of benefit to you and hopefully, of course, uh, a benefit to us uh, internally as we sort of provide services to the marketplace. That's great. I love that. I love that you're dedicating time. And I'm sure your team probably enjoys that as well, getting to kind of explore whatever they think is the right path to pursue, eh? Right. We, we we put down a theme and then we sort of just leave it to them, right? We leave it to the engineers to say, well, what what is interesting about this this topic? You know, come back and let's sort of discuss. But by and large, I'm going to let you make a decision as to how you want to proceed and what you want to do. Sure. So can you talk a little bit about the types of clients that you help? Sure. I, we really serve, uh, you know, if we're going to sort of drop everything into three buckets, uh, the three major categories. The first category is, of course, you know, uh, small businesses in the United States, which account for 90% of firms. That's maybe 20, 25% of our business. And these are folks who either have an idea or have a need for a piece of, piece of software that doesn't exist, and they're sort of bringing something new to market. Um, then we have mid-sized businesses, which account for the majority of our business. Uh, and really, they, you know, don't necessarily have... Uh, that team in-house that can solve that complex engineering problem that they have that that would resolve a core issue in their business or uh, would basically allow them to focus more on operations. And then, of course, we have enterprise clients like Google and Adobe uh, that we serve, and uh, we're building and supporting enterprise projects for them in-house. And uh, those are those are uh, much more structured, whereas for the other two, I guess, kind of categories, typically we're uh, – 
defining a lot of components for the business because uh, they just don't necessarily have that expertise in-house. Whereas the larger enterprise firms typically say like, hey, here's a blueprint of a house that I want. You know, I want this color drapes as well. Can you build this for me? And we say, yeah, of course, here, we, we go forward. Wow. Yeah. So it is quite, quite a broad reach, actually. Very much so. Nice. Um, can you describe the process of building custom software and how a company um, goes about doing that? Sure, sure. So building custom software is very much like building a house. You have to have a, a, a plan. Um, you also have to have certain access to certain things. So um, we start with really sitting down with the client, understanding their needs. Uh, we had people come to us with literally just napkins uh, where they have an idea. And so we have to take that, translate that into a former for, formal architectural document uh, we, so that's, you know, let's say for a small thing that can be 20, 30 pages laying out sort of the technical specifications of what's needed. We then go into a design and, uh, architecture phase where we're actually reviewing the technologies that would be best fit, uh, for this solution. Uh, and then we're designing it out. Uh, of course, we're going to try uh, ahead of that to make sure that the, the technical, uh, capabilities that are uh, sort of necessary and available in the marketplace would facilitate what is being built. Um, sometimes we'll do a discovery phase that's a couple weeks uh, to really kind of test and make sure, build what is called like a POC, approved concept, to see if this can be done. Um, and so we'll, we'll do that ahead of jumping into any sort of engineering as part of that, that diligence. And then uh, after we've got those architectural documents, we've got designs, maybe not 100%, uh, maybe 90%, where everybody sort of agrees, hey, yes, we can, we can move forward with this, uh, get all stakeholders sort of agreed on that. Uh, we then go into principal engineering. We pair uh, a team that has built something before together. We have a senior architect, someone with eight, 15 years experience typically with a project manager. Uh, and then you have your set of engineers. And then depending on the nature of the project, you have QA uh, teams to make sure that the quality of, is sort of meeting our standards. Um, and then we really just kind of burn it down in a, a sprint uh, Kanban style structure uh, where we're sort of moving functionality into production and it's getting tested and accepted. And we, we go until uh, we're sort of done, so to speak. And then we can support the project um, long-term if needed by the client. Wow. Fairly intense uh, process, it sounds like, which yeah. is, which is um the right way to do it, obviously, for really large projects that you're looking at, obviously. Very much so. But we try to apply that even to the small projects, right? Do a little more planning up front uh, and really make sure that we have applied the right thinking to even a small problem. Because if, if, you're, not, if you're not sort of considering all the roadblocks you could bump into, uh, so to speak, then uh, you, you will inevitably run into a few down the line. Yeah. Yeah, definitely makes sense. So Ian, the, the goal of this show is really to help alleviate any fears that someone has when they hear that word networking. Can you help our listeners by sharing your one of your favorite or most successful networking stories that you've had? Sure, sure. Probably one of the favorite networking stories I have is I was actually uh, revisiting a um, uh, a college campus, we were doing some recruiting and I had bumped into a colleague that had, you know, basically made a pretty wild transition in their career. And we just caught up very briefly, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, we should catch up, you know, that typical, <laughs> you know, like we should have a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then of course it doesn't happen. Um, 
which is uh, a fault to me and I'm sure a fault to the person that would say that. But um, that conversation sparked a chain of referrals, uh, which I found out later, where I had just sort of talked about what I was doing. And I took, I took rather a, a sort of unconventional career path. Um, it start to, started a, a chain of conversations on that person's side. Uh, and then I find out years later that they had actually uh, come into also um, my uh, circle of work, right, doing engineering, largely because of this conversation that I had with him. And th- while I didn't stay in touch, the conversation was so personal to the person that they said that it influenced their ability to perceive themselves as doing a certain type of work and therefore 100% did 180 on their career path and then came back later uh, and uh, said, you know, hey, thank you. Uh, Thank you for uh, telling me about the sort of direction you took because it actually made me change the direction I was taking. And so, um, you know, we've, of course, since stayed in touch with that person, we, we talk pretty regularly. Uh, and uh, they've, it's, it's of course helped my business. They've sent me work uh, through their firm and these sorts of things. So I, I think the the sort of most important component is that you never know what a genuine conversation with someone is going to do to their life, and you never know how it's going to affect the other person. Because I had this radical effect on this this individual, this friend of mine, and really had no idea that uh, that I was just you know just telling what I was doing, and um, and it came back to to benefit me in a, a myriad of ways. And I was just having a genuine conversation. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. And and you're so right in that you really never know how a conversation is going to have an impact on someone. And what's, I think, fantastic about this story that you shared is that it impacted two people. You generated a ton of fantastic referrals because of this conversation, and he made a huge pivot in his professional career um, because of this conversation. So that's Awesome. And I'm sure you had zero intentions of having that kind of an impact. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And I I didn't do anything special. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I had done anything miraculous, but uh, to that person, for whatever reason, that was, uh, it was a very eye opening. Cool. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. So how do you stay in front of or nurture your networking community that you've established? Yeah, I've taken an approach of, trying to write very thoughtful pieces uh, and and share those actually not via we do the the traditional hey shared on social uh, share blog posts on um, uh, you know sort of our art we have our blog we, we do other things and I'll take those pieces and I'll share them directly with a group of individuals I'll do like a BCC not to a huge group but to a, a select group and I won't send it to everybody. I'll send it to people that I feel would be it would be most relevant for, mm-hmm. just to share my my thoughts on a topic. And what I find is that that real engagement, rather than a sort of community or social engagement, uh, generates real conversations and lends itself to deeper, more meaningful, more thoughtful discussion about certain topics. And it's a lot more work. I'll say that. But I, w- I would say it, it, it has generated much deeper uh, sort of friendships. I love that. I love that saying real engagement generates real conversations. There's definitely a lot of truth to that. And um, 
you're absolutely right in that it takes more time, you know, and I think there's so much, so many resources and tools to automate, but to some extent we've become numb to auto automation when it comes to building relationships. And it's obvious when you're using kind of a tool to just blast everyone a message versus trying to be a little bit more genuine um, and that gen being genuine stands out a little bit more. Very much so. And I think, I think you're right. People can sort of read through the, the automated message, read through the, um, you know, kind of like templated message. And in fact, communication that's also very brief can, you know, one or two sentences can be more impactful than, you know, sort of these, these litany of paragraphs you get via email. Mm -hmm. What advice would you offer that business professional who's looking to grow their network? My advice would be, determine what type of communication you're comfortable doing. I think, I think a lot of people would see themselves as introverts. Let's say 90% of folks would see themselves as introverts. And I think there's somewhat of an expectation among business owners that they have to be this extroverted, you know, run around town type person. And it's really just not the case, not, not, in, not in the world we live in anymore. Find the type of communication that you gravitate to and that you prefer, and then try to leverage that and get really, really good at that one type of communication, that one type of network communication uh, that you prefer, and, and do that. Do that uh, on, on steroids. And if you, can, if you can do that, you can do it consistently, it'll work better than trying to be a, you know, a man for all seasons. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. You can't, you can't do everything. You can't be everything to everybody. And just because some people are YouTube stars doesn't mean you have to be the next YouTube star, right? That's, that's correct. Yeah. Because, because on the flip side, you have other people who really like to consume information in a different way. Mm -hmm. I prefer, I'm, I'm a person who loves to read books and I love to read the wall street journal and I love to read certain periodicals, but I'm not going to sit down in front of the television or I'm not going to sit down in front of YouTube or I'm not going to uh, go to networking events. It's just not how I operate. Yeah, I like that. So we've talked a little, a little bit about, you know, different types of connecting with regards to digital networking or traditional networking. Um, at the end of the day, which one do you ultimately find more value in? I would say the, the digital networking is much more valuable. And I would say by and large, because you, we have a, a, an increased sort of transaction velocity in society with uh, the use of technology. People are out and about and they can be anywhere when they're working. And so it's much more, uh, I guess, kind of consumable to present yourself digitally than I think it is to even go to or be present at some of these networking events. And so I would, I would place my bet, um, you know, put, put all chips in on uh, sort of digital marketing. Yeah, I would agree that there's a lot of value in digital, but, um, you know, if we go back to that original story that you shared, that was such a success for you, that was, that was more of a traditional connection. Fair enough. Uh, actually, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very fair point. And uh, so I think, I think if you can do the in-person, um, it, you know, 10 out of 10 times, probably the in-person is going to be more impactful, uh, more valuable, uh, more tangible. But um, if you're not that person, if you're not the sort of go get around town uh, type of type of folk, uh, then I would say, you know, stick to what works. Mm -hmm. 
Nice. Okay. Ian, if you could go back to your 20 year old self, what would you tell yourself to do more of less of or differently with regards to your professional career? Ooh, no, that's a tough question. Hmm. If I could go back in time, I would probably tell myself to uh, really try to start a business sooner than later. Uh, so I went into traditional consulting, uh, actually worked at a number of startups even before that and, and did the MBA before that. And I would say the education is helpful, but uh, not the professional education was helpful, but not necessary. And working in a professional environment was helpful, but not necessary. You can learn pretty much everything you want to learn if you just kind of jump feet first into the problem and sort of make the problem your own and want to go consume the material. It's all, all the information you need is available to you, not only sort of online and in books, but uh, through networking and through communicating with people who've been there, done that. And uh, it's not necessarily a prerequisite that you have, uh, I guess, kind of experience in the field, which is sort of what I thought uh, before taking the leap, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always go back and forth on that because I've been asked this question a couple of times about, you know, if I could starting my business, would I have done it differently? Um, and at times I think I wish I would have worked for one other agency before starting my own firm, just so that I could have had another perspective on, you know, how things are ran. Um, but at the same time, I agree that there's so many various resources out there from chatting with people, books, um, conferences that you can kind of learn as you go as well. And you do. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very much so. All right. Um, so we've all heard of the six degrees of separation. Who would be the one person that you'd love to connect with? And do you think you could do it within the sixth degree? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. I don't know about the sixth degree, uh, but it would probably be uh, the um, Seth Klarman at, at uh, Bow, I think it's Baupest Group. Um, he's, he's sort of a, a individual investor guy living in Boston. And totally unrelated to the field that uh, I'm in, but he wrote a book um, that is no longer in print and um, just a pretty interesting guy who's got a, got a unique perspective on the market and has a, has a, a long-term view of where things are going. So I'd, I'd love to have a chat with him if, if it could ever be arranged. Interesting. Um, so I guess if you were to initiate that, where would you start? Probably the lowest hanging fruit would be LinkedIn. You know, mm -hmm. almost everybody's on LinkedIn, sure. uh, but some people some people are, are intentionally not on LinkedIn. So I'd probably start with LinkedIn, uh, and then I'm a I'm an old fashioned guy, so I have written people letters in the past. Uh, I did one this last weekend. Uh, usually you don't hear back, but uh, it, it would be my preferred mechanism for communicating with somebody I don't know. It's very formal. Uh, it's it's. Uh, you know, not, it's not, you don't typically get something tangible in, in the mail anymore. And so it's kind of a nice thing when someone hears of you and writes of you uh, or writes to you. Uh, and uh, I think we all like getting mail. I mean, oh, who doesn't? Sure. You should, um, I know you said you, you haven't listened to much of the past episodes, but there's one um, episode 198 with Gary Loop. He wrote a letter to Jay Leno and um, he got a response back. So you'll definitely have to listen to that one and and see how that panned out. <laughs> Absolutely. No, definitely will. That's, that's intriguing now. Huh? Uh -huh. <laughs> All right, Ian, uh, here's your chance to interview me. What is something that you'd like to ask me? 
I would say, you know, running a podcast and having the opportunity to talk to so many business professionals and, and uh, prominent individuals, what is probably the single common theme amongst uh, most of the professionals you talk with? Well, um, my, my topic is really heavily focused. This is a great question, by the way. My topic is really heavily focused on networking and relationships. And at the end of the day, business really does come down to, you know, trust and relationships. And I think that, you know, one of the things that you said was to be genuine. That's definitely a theme. Um, and investing time in maintaining the relationships is a theme. Um, and adding value is definitely a theme. So not just, you know, you can't, you can't sell by just asking for the sale. You have to build the trust and the relationship and, and provide value in order for that to actually happen. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that that retrospective question of if you could do something different starting from your 20s, uh, what would that be? Would that be something like starting a podcast and uh, having these types of interviews and communications? You know, that's interesting. So, I mean, when I was 20, I don't think the podcast thing was, was totally <laughs> fair, was fair enough. pretending to be a DJ recording <laughs> a video or cassette players and video right. cassettes. Um, but yeah, you know, I think, well, one of the things that I love about this podcast is having these really fascinating conversations with amazing individuals such as yourself and, and learning about their history and their philosophies and, you know, to have the opportunity to go back in time and start this informational interview process um, would would be amazing, actually. I think my network, my world would be totally different because just interviewing, you know, where I'm at about 230 interviews I've done, plus or minus a little bit, um, has significantly changed my perspective on a number of things already. So <laughs> that... Yeah, that's an interesting reflection. Thanks for asking that. Where do you, where do you think the where do you think the sort of communication paradigm, the networking paradigm, is going to shift to? Is it going to be like you know mega conferences? Is it going to be more of this sort of online forum? Um, what is what is kind of the next big trend? Um, that's an interesting question. You know, I see a lot more people trying to do the online conferences, online trade shows, but at the end of the day, having that face to face is always, in my opinion, it's going to have greater weight and value than that digital, um, engagement that's happening. Uh, but at the same time, technology continues to advance. You know, we're definitely getting more into the the Star Wars era of holograms and whatnot. So our Star Trek, um, all that, you know, future thinking way of doing things. Um, But I also see just the uh, communication kind of having a rubber band effect where, you know, one thing is really popular, um, such as, you know, emails were amazing and everyone stopped doing direct mail. And then and then there's kind of this shift that's happening and everyone hates email. And now there's like, oh, well, direct mail actually works. You just have to be a little bit more strategic about it. You don't just put a, you know, a letter in the mail to everyone. You are targeted, yeah. a targeted message. And, you know, like you're saying, you're, you're going to write a nice note to um, the author of this book as opposed to just writing letters to anyone. So 
um, it's hard to say exactly where it's going, especially with the technology advances are coming from so many different angles and directions now um, with all the startups out there. So it is somewhat fascinating to watch, but I think the in-person stuff is as much as everyone's time is constrained, people are still making time to, to have that face-to-face communication still. I think, I think that's right. I mean, there's, there's additional information that you get by being in, in front of a person, you get their body language. Mm-hmm. You can more more clearly understand their tone. You understand if they're distracted during the conversation or not interested. And it, it's really difficult uh, to to get some of those pieces if you're if you're not as close to in person as possible. Yeah, I agree. All right, Ian. Any final word of advice to offer our listeners with regards to growing and supporting your network? Yeah, I would. I would just repeat that being being personal, being yourself is the most valuable thing that I have uh, done uh, and the most valuable thing I would encourage people to do and and be comfortable in your skin. (laughs) Just be comfortable with who you are. Uh, Be a little goofy, be a little nerdy. Uh, That's me. And uh, just put yourself out there. Love it. That's fantastic. Uh, Being yourself is is so true and be comfortable in your skin. Got to own the nerdiness. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) That's right. All right. If anyone is interested in getting in contact with you, what is the best way they can reach you? Best way they can reach me is probably uh, just hello at zibtech.com, Z-I-B-T-E-K.com, uh, or visit our website, uh, Z-I-B-T-E-K.com. And uh, I'm CC'd on all those, those emails that come in, so I'll, I'll see them. Uh, and then also my LinkedIn profile, uh, is uh, you, can, you can find it on the website. Sure. Um, We will include all that information in our show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. You bet. Thank you so much. This was fun. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital. A huge thank you to Ian for taking the time to connect with us. If you want to continue the conversation on networking and building your community, join our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash social capital network. If you need me, send an email to Lori at socialcapitalpodcast.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.